Hello, welcome to the Lone Show. I'm your host, John Lone. In this episode, don't have regulars because reasons, I guess. As for our guest, he is, he was born in New York City, but currently living in Madrid, and uh, he does something about writing or something. I don't know. It's it's been a long process. But anyway, he's here, ladies and gentlemen. I give you Norman Schwartz. Hello. Hello there. Yes. So, how's life? Life is very pleasant. Uh, Madrid is uh, unseasonably warm, spring-like weather for October. Very unusual, but but very pleasant. Yes, absolutely. And have you been up to much recently? Well, you know, um, I am a writer as well as a director and a teacher of acting. And I find that Madrid is an excellent place to be, as there isn't very much to distract you from sitting alone at a table and writing your novels or essays, whatever. Ah, very nice. So, how long have you been working for in the space? I mean, in, well, I've been in Madrid for over eight years. But before that, I was in Abu Dhabi. Before that, I was teaching in New York and then in California. But I found that Madrid is an excellent place to be at my age. I'm 90 years old. Nice, nice. So what kind of writing do you do exactly? Well, I guess it would be called comic, a comic novel. I try to follow in the great tradition of people like Kingsley Amos or his son, or going back to Anthony Pohl or uh, Evelyn War. That way of looking at the world as being rather ridiculous or at best absurd. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Now, as you know, uh, Spain has given the world one of the great comic novelists, uh, Cervantes. And uh, Don Quixote is the kind of uh, character I like to write about. Oh, nice, nice. So, how many countries have you been to so far? Well, I've lost count, but uh, I went, let's say, to simplify it, I went from Hollywood to New York, from New York to Abu Dhabi, where I taught for eight years, and uh, from Abu Dhabi to Spain. That, that takes me to the present moment. Wow. Impressive. Yes. And so I've taught acting in many parts of the world. And it's very interesting to see how people work and what the standard uh, methods of training are. Uh, so I've tried to bring a bit of the American Stanislavski technique to the more classic English training, sort of a fusion technique. Fabulous. Yes. Is, is there country, are there other countries you haven't been to yet, but you would like to visit them someday? Well, uh, yes, I'd like to spend more time in Southeast Asia. I spent a little time in the North Vietnam, and I found it a very pleasant country to live in. Now, on the other hand, I don't think I could teach acting in Vietnam as I don't speak Vietnamese. So I am sort of uh, drawn to countries where people speak English. 
okay. So, are you like currently teaching in Madrid right now? No, I'm not at the present moment. Well, you have been at some point. Yes, I have. And I've, I've tried uh, um, to find a technique that's applicable for professional actors. What I've written about in my book, Acting Now, is that so many of the classic techniques that are taught either in the UK or the United States don't really prepare actors for what film and television is all about. And unfortunately, many actors that are classically trained are completely uh, ill at ease the first day they arrive on a movie or television set. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Uh, as you know, in classic British and American rehearsal technique, an actor sits around a table with his colleagues or his or her colleagues with the director. They read the play. The director often interrupts to point out certain textual points that he wishes to emphasize. And there's a great deal of discussion and rehearsal before the actor actually performs. In film and television, the actor often arrives on the set uh, with three pages uh, from the script. He has no idea what the rest of the film is about and is asked to produce an in instant result. And therein lies the problem. There are, with, with few exceptions, there are very few film or television directors who know much about acting and they expect an actor to sort of produce a result in the same way they would expect an electrician to light the set or a camera operator to move the camera. All right, yeah, I can see that. You understand that? Yes, absolutely. Have so my technique is based on, in effect, you might say it's teaching the actor to prepare himself or herself. In effect, the actor in film or television very often is his or her director and does the work that directors in theater usually do for their cast. Yes, of course. Have you done any acting work yourself at any point? I did a little. Actually, I got into directing as a writer. And of course, uh, as a writer, I was very concerned about actors reproducing what I heard in my own inner ear. What I learned the hard way is the wonderful contribution that actors bring to a script. And that if the director has any sense, he or she is respectful of that contribution. Nice. It, Yes, and uh, th that led me to read Stanislavski and particularly his later writing, which was never uh, translated into English until, you know, 25 or more years after Stanislavski died. Stanislavski was very interested in the creative contribution of the actor, in, in effect, in the improvisational technique that the actor discovers the role by performing in rehearsal rather than being instructed in rehearsal. And that I found an excellent way of working with actors. Nice, very good.
Yes. What's the best way to start the morning? You mean as an actor? Yes, as an actor. Well, I'm a great believer in vocal exercises. Uh, since the voice that we need for films or for the theater is quite different from conversational English. So I'm a great believer in tuning up the instrument the same way a violinist or an oboist might do. And then of course, as I'm a great believer that the actor's obligation is to perform the text as the author has hoped it would be performed, I always suggest rereading the script because the more you read it, the more you'll find in it. And so that's a secondary morning technique, I would suggest. But I don't believe that acting can be done in a vacuum. And therefore, the best technique is to be in a class or if you're lucky in a play and work with other actors and work off what they give you. Because the more you read, the more you plan, the more unusual it becomes when you see that someone else that you're performing with might have a different way of looking at the material. So I'm a great believer in collaboration through improvisation. Fantastic. Yes. I wish more people felt that. Yeah, me too. What should they teach in high school, but they don't? Well, uh, it seems to me that I, I guess it comes down, respect the play. What's the play about? What does the playwright want to say? Uh, I found, for example, being as old as I am, when I was in high school, the method was very popular and ill-advised teachers were making students do uh, memory exercises that were often very uncomfortable for a young person, in effect, going back and trying to recall a moment of the past which evoked a memory. And I think that was a very dangerous technique. It's out of fashion, and fortunately, uh, I would say teach people to read, teach people to respect the great writers, the great playwrights of the world, and that's as good a start as any. Absolutely. Yes. So, yeah. If your life was a meal, what kind of meal would it be? If my life was a meal, what kind of meal would it be? Well, as I spent 25 years in Italy, living in that marvelous country, I would say if life was a meal, it should be a bowl of pasta. Nice. Particularly pasta as it's made al dente in Rome, with all the wonderful ingredients that the Italians have invented to take very little and make something more of it. Fabulous. Which pizza topping do you most relate to? Ah, very good. Well, I'm very... Years ago, when I spent many months in Positano, there was a pizza called Quattro Stagioni, Four Seasons. And the pizza was divided, of course, into four sections with four different kinds of cheeses. Mozzarella, of course, and other, others, you know, like um, Pecorino, which was more spicy. So you had four tastes on one pizza. 
that I remember as a memorable pizza. Nice, nice. Good. I hope I'm getting you hungry. I am a bit hungry now, so uh, yeah, you're doing something all right. Good. What's your favorite season? Uh, oddly enough, now that we're having a very unusual autumn in Madrid, um, I would say that uh, when one is in the winter of one's life, it's nice to have weather that resembles the autumn of one's life. I like the, uh, the autumn, uh, what I think in America is called an Indian summer, uh, the sense of uh, it's going to be warm for a while before it gets cold. So my preference presently is for the autumn. Ah, very good. Yes. Indeed. Now, the other thing I've discovered in my old age is that as the weather is different throughout Europe, each August, which is rather t terrible in Madrid, I go off and visit friends in Sweden. And most of the time, uh, the weather in Sweden is absolutely perfect in August. So yes. another, another suggestion I would give was uh, if you have the freedom or the money to travel, go where the weather is temperate. Absolutely. What's your favorite quote? My qu favorite quote. Well, offhand, I will quote uh, something that the great W.C. Field said. He said, if I had my life to live over, I'd live over a saloon. That seems to be a very se sensible suggestion. Fabulous. How did you spend your last birthday? Ah, I was invited by, by some friends in uh, Burgundy in France. Uh, there were about uh, almost 20 people around the table, some very young, none quite as old as I am. And it was wonderful to be in that kind of French family atmosphere. My friends have converted an old abandoned mill and turned it into a most wonderful place to entertain friends and family. That's nice. Would you rather speak all languages or talk to animals? Would uh, I would like to speak English. Uh, English is a very interesting language for we Americans. Uh, and uh, my goal in life is to speak English. Okay, fair enough. I do speak Italian quite fluently, but uh, in my in these years, I I'm very much taken to the way English is spoken, and not only that, as it is written in the UK. Absolutely. What fictional item do you wish you owned in real life? What fictional item? Yes. That means something that exists in a book or a play, mm -hmm. uh, but doesn't necessarily exist in life. In the I, real world. In the real world. Well, well I think that famous uh, uh, instruction that Chekhov gave about plays, 
He said, if you have a pistol on stage in the first act, you better shoot it off by the end of the play. So uh, in answer to your question, I think I would like to have an, Im an imaginary pistol that I could fire whenever I'd like without harming anyone. Very good. What could, what could you give a 40-minute presentation on without any preparation? I think that I could do something which I often did in acting class, was to talk about the Americanization of the Stanislavski system. He never called it a method, he called it a system. I think that we Americans have in some degree distorted what Stanislavski was trying to teach, overemphasizing certain aspects of his system and underemphasizing others. For example, Stanislavski in his second book spent a great deal of time talking about voice, body control, uh, and his second book on acting is much closer to the kind of technique that's taught at Rotter and other famous schools in Britain than, than the way acting was taught in my generation in the United States. So I could talk about how Stanislavski is misunderstood for at least 15 minutes. Okay, interesting. If you were given 500 acres of land, what would you use it for? I think I'd uh, have a vineyard for obvious reasons. It's nice to be able to make use of, the, of what you're growing. Yes, absolutely. Right. I wouldn't like to be manufacturing uh, computers or, uh, or electronic gear. I'd rather be making something that I could eat or drink. Yes, absolutely. You agree? What, Good. Yes, I agree. What's your favorite family tradition? Ah, very good. My father, uh, who was born in Russia, was not a very, um, uh, how can I say, very articulate man. Uh, but I remember, as I come from the radio generation, uh, the Sunday evenings in America, when we all gathered to listen to our comedians like Fred Allen or Jack Benny or Edgar Bergen, and I remember the, the sense of the whole family sitting around and getting the jokes. And that's something that has disappeared. Well, you might say television has the same effect, but not quite. Because when you were listening to the radio, you had to imagine what the people looked like. So I miss that tradition very much. Being together, sharing the same laughter. Yes, indeed. And what? you know, I remember, uh, I don't know, the generation in the UK that heard the goons for the first time. And the laughter that occurred, particularly from young people, at the great madness of people like uh, Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers and Harry, 
that must have been a wonderful time in the history of Britain when a whole nation discovered something new to laugh about. Nice. When things break, do you prefer to fix them or replace them? Well, as you know, it costs more these days to repair something than it is to buy something new. I would love to repair, or, but I, it's seemingly that's a kind of uh, archaic method. And I guess most of us are buying something new when something no longer works. Hmm. All right, then. Yes. If you could turn any activity into an Olympic sport, what would you have a good chance of winning a medal for? Laziness. If one could be judged at the amount of time one spends per day stretched out on the sofa, reading a book or watching YouTube, I think I might uh, qualify for a gold medal. Well, you're more than be a you'll more than win a gold medal. You'll be a record holder of medals. I think so, but you know, I've uh, I've found people that I can that have competed with me many years ago. I, when I was living in Rome, I used to go at, at, as soon as it was noontime. I'd go to a wonderful cafe. I think it was called Cafe Domiziano in the Piazza Navona, and I got to meet lots of interesting people who had the same habit. And a friend of mine said, Norman, I've always considered myself the world's champion cafe sitter, but I must say that um, you are offering competition. That's one of the best things that anyone ever said to me. Wow. Sweet. Yes. What food you haven't eaten yet, but you would like to try it? Ah, let's see. There, I can't think of anything that I haven't tried. Uh... Occasionally, someone will mention a fish from the Mediterranean or the Northern Atlantic that I haven't tried. And as I love fresh fish, as opposed to frozen fish, I suppose it would be one of those fishes. But I can't uh, give you a name. I have to write them down. Okay, I can see that. If you had to bury a treasure chest, where would you hide it? Well, the obvious answer is someplace where no one could find it. Uh, that would be, that's my instant reaction to your question. Not much point burying a treasure chest is there if your neighbor can spot it the next day and dig it all up. So I think uh -huh. its prime requirement is someplace nobody would think of. Exactly. It's as it's, it's simple as that. Yes. Would you rather be teleported 500 years into the future or 500 years into the past? Well, I think I think about that a great deal. Uh, I would obviously like to be recognized by a future generation. I've often found, Peter, that in my life, uh, I've been ahead of others. And... What I was interested in 10 years later, everybody was interested in. I was one of the first people in New York City to study motion pictures in a university. 
I attended New York University that gave a degree in motion pictures when it was almost unheard of. 10 years later, every college and university in the United States was teaching film. So I have a feeling that I'd rather be think ahead than think backwards. Fair enough. I'd say the same, to be honest. Very good, yes. Yes. Some of us are ahead of our time. Absolutely. What natural landmark would you like to see someday? I suppose the Taj Mahal. I've never seen that. Or any place that's listed among the most beautiful places in the world. I was very lucky when I was working in film in Rome in the 1960s. I'd heard about Positano along the Amalfi Coast. Then one of the most beautiful places in the world. And, I, and what interests me in traveling are those spectacular places that remain, that haven't been ruined by tourism. Indeed. Yeah, not many left, by the way. Yeah, yeah, of course, not many left. If you could see one movie again for the first time, what would it be? Well, funny enough, uh, a film that had made a great impression on me when I was a film student at the university in the 1950s was the Marx Brothers Duck Soup, which was absolute surreal madness. And uh, I think it's one of those great classic films like Casablanca uh, that never grows old. I haven't seen it in over 20 or 30 years. I'd love to see it again in a big theater with lots of people laughing hysterically as they did the, the afternoon I first saw Duck Soup at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Nice. What is the one thing you can't live without? Friendship. Absolutely. In that, I might say, one of the great pleasures in life for anyone who is director or director is the friendship and collaboration of gifted actors that are open to experimentation, open to discovery, who embrace the process of creating a role to use Stanislavski's title. Friendship amongst actors has been one of the great pleasures of my life. Mm, nice. If you were chosen to colonize a brand new habitable planet, would you take that opportunity? Uh, well, I wrote a book called um, Amazon Women from Mars. Uh, if I could live on that, the planet that I imagined, I think I'd be very happy. Nice. What kind of music do you often listen to? Uh, I'm a sucker for old, for 1930s dance band music, particularly the band, you know, Ray Noble and uh, the bands that used to play at the Savoy in, in London. They're very evocative of, of a of a past time. I wish that I had I, I'd lived at that time. It would have been 
marvelous to write plays at the same time as Noel Coward, Somerset Maugham. I think I would have been a happy man if I could dance to those tunes and see those plays. Nice. If you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would you ask? Ah, that's an easy one. What the hell are women all about? Ah, yes. I've spent my life trying to figure it out and uh, with some success. But there are areas that I still can't fathom. It's all right. Same here. And to this day, we still don't know. <laughs> and one might say we may never know or we shouldn't know. Because if there were no mystery, what would life be about? What's our purpose? Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I can say that some of us have discovered that our purpose is to act, write plays, direct them, design them. And that seems to be a very good purpose in life for those of us who aspire to do it and particularly for those who do it well. Yes, absolutely. And that is all we have for this episode. It was great having you on, Norman, talking about your teaching work and your somewhat acting career and traveling around the world and everything else. It's been great. Yes, delighted to talk to you. And anytime you wish to con continue the conversation, you can find me in Old Madrid at, at this wonderful email address, which finally worked. So I'll, I'll say goodbye. All right. Take care. And bye -bye. until next time, until stay tuned for more. I will. Bye-bye.